Well, hey, everyone. Uh, it's great to be together again, so thanks for being here. And uh, thank you if you're watching online or if you're over at our Montrose location. Uh, it's great to kind of be walking through this series together. Uh, we've been talking about this conversation, what does God actually want? And so uh, that's been an interesting question to walk through. Uh, but what we've been looking at is kind of this teaching moment with Jesus. Uh, sometimes we call it the Sermon on the Mount. But it, it's, the, it's this all one moment where Jesus is talking with a crowd of people. And uh, he's teaching these things that he probably didn't just say uh, one time, but as he interacted with people and taught from the town and town and village to village, uh, these were the kinds of things he said. And uh, they're uh, difficult, challenging. You have to think about it a little bit. And um, what he knows about his audience and what's uh, true of us even today, is that we kind of all have a preconceived idea about how to answer this question, right? What does God actually want? And so we might answer that one way. In his day, uh, kind of the dominant worldview was shaped by what we call the Jewish law. So he was talking to Jewish people, and they had this law kind of given to them from God, written through uh, by the prophets and, and kind of throughout their time as a people group. And uh, that was what very much dictated their worldview, kind of their uh, social norms, their political views, obviously their, their kind of religious outlook on life, life. And that was kind of the world he was entering into, was they had their minds shaped by this and they were uh, supposed to find the heart of God, the story of God in that. But um, as kind of time went on, uh, it began to drift and people began to offer their own commentary and kind of it began to get confused and blurry. And so what Jesus is doing kind of at the beginning of this talk, he says, uh, I've come not to abolish the law. I'm not here to like toss it out and start over. I'm here to accomplish it. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to bring it back to the heart of God. And I'm here not just to tell you about it, but I'm here to embody it. I'm here to live it out. And so uh, what we kind of know about the law, we said this uh, first week of the series, is that it revealed what true love was. Because that, that's who God is. That's what we were created for. But it, it didn't just reveal or explain what true love was. It also exposed the reality of our relationships and how love should play out or how it fails to play out. And Jesus is kind of entering that conversation. And there's several points along the way. He kind of has this repeated pattern where he says, you've heard it said, right? In kind of your Jewish worldview, the Jewish law, the God's word. Um, but I tell you this. And again, he's not creating something new. He's really challenging at the heart level. He's bringing it back to the wisdom and the truth and the reality of what love is. So he talks about murder and adultery and divorce and lying and revenge. And so uh, these have not been easy conversations to uh, preach them, I'm sure, uh, for Jesus' audience to wrestle through that. Um, but what's so important about this, right, as um, probably these aren't like the feel-good messages of the Bible, but there's something here there's something that Jesus wants us to understand about God's love through these love challenges. And so uh, it, it's probably hard to think through all this. It's probably challenging to our lives at an individual level for us as a church. But there's something important here that Jesus is settling into because he wants us to deeper understand God's love. He expects us to live these things out. And so as, as we dive into that, as we kind of pick up this final love challenge, we'll be in Matthew 5. You can open that up in the app, uh, or you can open that up in your Bibles. Go to Matthew 5, and this is kind of the end of this teaching moment 
on radical love. And he says this, that you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it continues on. He says, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Can you move it on for me a little bit? It's not working for me. No? Tech people? Yeah, good. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You can see why these aren't the feel-good parts of the Bible, right? These aren't like the coffee mug scriptures. You're not like, oh, I'm waking up this morning with a cup of coffee, and it's like, I'm going to love my enemy today and just have a little uh, sip of coffee during my devotions. Like, this is hard. And then he lands, and he's like, by the way, just be perfect. And you're like, okay, Jesus, what are you saying? Like, I don't know if you've read these parts of the Bible and you're like, this is like uncomfortable and he can't possibly mean that, but maybe he does. Like, I know I don't take Jesus very seriously that often, but like, I think he's being for real here and he just keeps bringing it, amplifying it more and more. Uh, And it's challenging because um, it's challenging for two reasons. One, um, there are a lot of people that annoy me and there are a lot of people that bother me. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as a pastor, but hopefully we can relate on that, that people bother you in the world too. They bother me as well. Sometimes they're in the checkout line. Sometimes they're on the road. Sometimes they're uh, people I just try to avoid <laughs> in life. And thankfully uh, we can just relate on that and admit that openly. But it's so counterintuitive what Jesus is asking us to do, to love our enemies. It, it, it's something that no one else in that day is expecting, teaching, let alone living. And uh, the other thing that's crazy about this is how many of you guys like know Jesus' teaching enough to know that he says for us to love our enemies? Raise your hand. You're like, yeah, I know. Okay, yeah. I know Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies, but um, (laughs) what does he actually mean by that? And and do I actually do that? Because I don't know. I don't really want to do that. But why, why is he bringing this up? Why is this something that he wants to press into us? If he's trying to help us understand God's love, he's trying to help us be the kind of people who know what his love is like and then say, go out and be like me, like this one feels bizarre. It does not feel intuitive. It doesn't feel like what's natural to us. And so we're gonna walk through this conversation today and I think uh, there's a lot for us to get out of it. Even if we're familiar with it, we just need to stop and say, okay, Jesus expected that we would respond to this and live it out. What does that look like? Why is that important to him? And so the pathway we're going to walk through today is we're going to talk about love as defined by God, all right? There's a lot of uh, ways we could define love, and we'll unpack that, but we want to actually understand what Jesus means when he says, love your enemies. We want to get that right before we move on too far. And then we're also going to look at who I should love, (laughs) because that's kind of the crux of the issue here. Like, we're going to start, there's some people we want to love, and there's some people we really don't. And Jesus is really focusing on the people we don't want to love. And so we're going to unpack that about why, but also why Jesus cared about our enemies, why he cares for them, why he thinks, like, that's what he wants to finish his sermon on. (laughs) That's like the end of the message, is he's like, I want you to understand, here's the grand finale, love your enemies, why, why is he landing there? Why is he settling into that? How does that reveal what God is like? And then lastly, uh, I want us to look at how to take practical steps toward love because uh, what's hard about this is we've heard it, right? But how do we do it? And uh, you, you may get to the end of this and be like, that still doesn't sound very appealing, but uh, <laughs> there's something here that Jesus wants us to see that if we will engage it, 
if we will trust him and follow through with it and, and allow him to work in our own hearts, uh, this is very much a part of understanding the kind of love that Jesus is here to redeem and restore. And so we're going to walk through that path today, and uh, I hope we can stay dialed in and uh, see what Jesus is revealing through this. So uh, we're going to start with love, right? Because there's lots of ways we could define love. I think probably the way we're most used to using the word love is primarily as a feeling, right? Uh, we describe it uh, in an emotional sense, right? Like there's things we prefer, there's things we like, like I, I like pizza, I love pizza. Actually, every week on Thursday night, me and my family, we go get pizza. It's a tradition. Uh, I work on the weekend, and so we kind of take our Sabbath on my day off on Friday, and we start it on Thursday night by going and getting pizza. And so we have frequented all of the pizza shops uh, in Akron. We've experimented with recipes at home. It's like our tradition, and our two, four, and six-year-old love it, and of course, even us as grown-ups, we love it. We do pizza and cookies every uh, Thursday night. So we love pizza. We also love Star Wars in our house, and uh, that's primarily started by me, but now that I have a uh, six-year-old, almost seven, like we've made it through all episodes one through nine. We've made it through Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett. We've made it through Rogue One. We've like done it all. We, we, we just like geek out on Star Wars, and we love it. Like when my kids go to the library, do you want to know where they run? They're like, where's the Star Wars section? And they get like the encyclopedia, and that's what they take home. Like, I want to read this. All the Star Wars characters. That's, I'm like, yeah, I'm so proud of you. I love you guys so much. And we just like love Star Wars. We geek out on it. Um, we also use this in like a way of, of what we care about, right? So we love our family, right? We, we love our spouse, our kids. We love our community, like the people who are our people, who get us, like are part of our tribe. We're loyal to them, right? So we, we feel the emotion of that. Like there's, there's a preference, there's an enjoyment, there's like a sense of, I'm gonna stick it through with you. And, and that's one sense of the way we use the word love. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's okay to like things and, and, and use it in that way. But only important for us to unpack it later because there's another way we use this word that I think is a little bit more, uh, it's a little bit more new in our culture. And the way that we'll sometimes use the word love is we'll think of it as agreement, and so we'll uh, say things like, can you accept me? And we'll begin to actually base someone's love for us on if we can see eye to eye with them. And this, this is really tricky that uh, this is kind of a newer way of us doing this, that you don't love me if you don't agree with me or that I feel like you hate me if, if you don't agree with me. Because the reality is like there are so many human beings in this room and in this world. And I don't know if you've been around human beings very much, but most of us don't see eye to eye. <laughs> and so we disagree all the time. And, and there's a danger here when we actually make this uh, a part of our definition and we start to see I can't love someone I don't agree with. Or I don't think someone can love me who disagrees with me. Actually, that, that's really dangerous. That's a very polarizing. I think that's why our culture can feel so polarized is because we're actually changing the definition of love to mean something I, I don't think it was ever supposed to mean. I, I, I don't think that uh, agreement is a part of that, but because we're, we're hoping for that, we're looking for that, we're actually categorizing people as if we love them or they love us based upon agreement, it polarizes us because we just don't see eye to eye on everything. I, I certainly don't. I haven't found uh, many, if any, people that I agree with everything on. And so this is kind of a, a part of maybe the cultural definition. Like we all kind of think in these ways or we hear messages in this way. But what is biblical love? Actually, biblical love is called agape. 
So this is a Greek word. This is uh, the word that Jesus is using when he says, you're supposed to love your enemies. It's actually uh, kind of the, the repeated word for love in the Bible. There's other Greek words. There's phileo love, right? You know, like Philadelphia, brotherly love. And so like people you like, phileo love's easy love. There's eros love, which is passionate love. And so it's that feeling, it's that emotion. But agape love's a little bit different. Agape love didn't actually have a very strong meaning. No one really used it, but Jesus started to use it. And so actually, where we start to understand what this word meant was by actually seeing how Jesus used it and how his disciples used it. The Bible actually becomes uh, the like, way of knowing what this word means is because the early church picked this up and they said this. This is the kind of love that's like God. This is the kind of love that's like Jesus. And it wasn't primarily a feeling. It definitely wasn't an agreement. The first part of this love was attitude, kind of a mindset that as I went through the world and as I interacted with other human beings, I wasn't supposed to see them as nuisances and annoyances and inconveniences and people just in my way or people to use or manipulate or get what I wanted out of life. No, like the, the attitude that agape love has is that I'm supposed to see people as objects of love. They're, they're other human beings made in God's image of worth and value, and they're supposed to be an object of my love. And so as Jesus' early followers walked through life, as they lived out his teaching, they realized that everyone on this planet was meant to be an object of God's love. And so it started as an attitude, kind of as that mindset, but it didn't just stay there. It was an attitude with an action. And so if I saw people that way, if as I went through my day and as I interacted with my friends and family and neighbors and everyone, I was supposed to think about how I could act toward their good, how I could be generous and kind, that this agape love didn't just stop in theory, but it was lived out in day-to-day -day life, in, in the marketplace, it was lived out in the family, it, it was lived out in the communities. It was lived out with strangers and immigrants and p different people groups. And it, it was supposed to be this kind of radical love that started with a way of how I viewed the world, how I viewed people as objects of love. And it manifested itself in active good deeds and service and loving one another. And so actually kind of the definition we get for this is that agape love is seeking the highest good of another. It's a mindset that I see you as deserving of that. I'm placed on this earth not just for me, but also for you. <laughs> and I'm going to act on behalf of your good. I'm not going to work against you. I'm not going to uh, try to tear you down. I'm not going to try to trap you. I'm, I'm not going to use you or manipulate you or just see you as in my way. But I, I want to participate in your story as well. And I want to be a part of the good in that story <laughs> and not just pushing you out. So this is uh, what agape love is. It's, it's not a feeling. Uh, it's definitely not uh, agreement, but it's this mindset, it's this attitude, and this action toward one another. And this becomes the theme of the Bible. Like, this is what God's like. He is love. <laughs> he sees each of us. He sees every human being in history as an object of his love. As, as people, he wants to move toward and pursue. And he acts on behalf of their good. 
It's what he does as he interacts with his people, as he uh, participates in the world. (laughs) He's being generous and kind. We'll unpack that a little bit, how to see that and how God is doing that because Jesus is very specific in, in how he sees that. But you'll read the Bible and you'll see love over and over and over again. While everyone's trying to argue about what the rules are and how to get the Jewish law right, and there's 613 Jewish laws, Jesus brings it down to this one thing, to love. A, a teacher of the law one time says, what, what's the most important commandment? He says, it's to love. It's to love God. It's to agape God. And it's to agape others. Another way he says it is, is what we call the golden rule. And he says that we should love one another. We should agape one another as we want to be loved. Right? We should act for the good of others in the way that we hope that people seek our highest interest. They, they're acting on behalf of our good. They're not trying to use us or, or get by with us or just push us out of the way. But like we, we're working together. And, and this is the kind of love that Jesus is trying to bring us back to. It's, it's the heart of God. And so um, while all that sounds great, and um, I don't think anyone argues about loving their neighbor, uh, there was a lot of debate about who actually counts, <laughs> right? Like if, if it's all about love, agape love, this attitude and this action, not this feeling and this agreement, uh, there were still people that we uh, don't want to love, Right? There were people who we thought categorically, like, they, they thought, no way does, does God mean that I'm supposed to love them. It makes sense that I'm supposed to love my neighbor. It makes sense that I'm supposed to love my family. But, like, there are people who maybe I can find the workaround with. Maybe I can and find a loophole for. So uh, it's important because Jesus is recognizing our human tendency to limit our love, Right? We, we, we think, man, we can't possibly love everyone or, or maybe it's, it's not worth it if they're not gonna love me back. And so Jesus is pressing into that. Hey, I know you're gonna wanna have some preference and who you live this out for, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna really push the boundaries on this. And so he says, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's starting to unpack their starting point. So what's their starting point, right? They're like, they have their Bibles. Actually, if, if you open up your Bible, you have something called the Old Testament, That was their Bible. That was all they had. If you open up to Leviticus, you're going to start to see what it meant to love your neighbor. And so this is what he's quoting from. Do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. And there's a lot of things here. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Uh, Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Uh, Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor, being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Uh, Don't spread slanderous gossip among your people. Don't stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Don't nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Uh, Confront people directly so you won't be held guilty for their sin. And here's where we get to it. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus is speaking to something they knew. 
right? This, like, this is what they learn in school. They're, they're like, yeah, these are all the things. We're supposed to, like, not be a cheat. Like, if, if I have people who work for me, like, I have to pay them fairly. Um, like, if, if someone's in trouble, I'm not supposed to stand idly by. Um, I'm not supposed to spread gossip or slander people. Like, especially the marginalized, like the deaf or the poor, I'm supposed to, like, help them. I'm not supposed to have favoritism, especially in, like, a court of justice. And so all of this, loving their neighbors about what? Their fellow Israelite. It's their tribe, right? Their community. Like loving their neighbor, all of that played out in the people they did day-to-day life with, right? The people they, they bought from the marketplace with, the people who they shared land with, the people who they worked for, the, the people in their community, their tribe. And what Jesus is trying to help them see is that they've begun to drift away from that. Not because they're not loving their neighbor, but because they've, begin to pick something else up from this part of the Bible that's not even in there. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, but what? Hate your enemy. Did you see that anywhere in there? <laughs> it's not in there. So what, what is Jesus picking up on? He's picking up on what people have done with God's commands. They've said, okay, I'll love my neighbor. I'll love my tribe, what about my enemy? What about people who aren't a part of my tribe? I don't view them that way. They actually aren't nationally a part of my tribe. The people who I don't see eye to eye with, the people who are in my way or against me. And what he's picking up on is not something that came from the Bible. He's picking up on something that people had assumed was okay. And I think we need to be very careful of that because we can do the same thing today. We can think, I'll love the people who are a part of my tribe, right? I'll love the people who see eye to eye with me, right? We start to kind of creep into the idea of love being a feeling or love being agreement. (laughs) And, And we start to only live that way. And we start to infer that it must not be a big deal for, with God. But the heart of this idea of loving our neighbor is that it didn't just stay in the tribe, It was supposed to expand even to people who we didn't see eye to eye with, people who weren't like us. And Jesus is taking it there. Even though the idea of love isn't new to the Bible, it's all throughout it, the idea of loving your enemy is. At least directly, it's new. And so Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies. Don't just love your neighbor. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What Jesus is saying, they'd never heard before. <laughs> Why would you hear that before? Like, that's insane. Like, you really think about your real enemies. Like, do you see who their enemy is? It's those who persecute you. Like, the Jewish people spent most of their existence as a nation being oppressed by someone else. For about 600 years, they were either oppressed by the Egyptians, uh, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greek, the, the Romans. <laughs> That's like three times as long as we've been a nation as the United States. <laughs> and they just like lived that, having to be like paying taxes to someone else, having to be ruled by someone else, being after told to live and function in a way that they didn't want to live and function. And so when they're hearing Jesus say, love your enemy, pray for the one who persecutes you, they're thinking of Rome. They're they're thinking of the tax collectors who collected taxes for Rome and abandoned their community and worked against them. 
and enabled the enemy. They're thinking of the people who persecuted them. They're thinking of the groups who worked against their cultural norms. They're thinking of the Samaritans. They're, they're thinking of people outside their tribe. From persecution all the way down to just different. And what Jesus is calling them to, to love an enemy, right? Agape. To agape an enemy is to seek their highest good. I mean, that's, that's not feel good, right? Like this isn't the feel good takeaway for today. This is, this is really challenging to actively seek what is their best interest. Not to change how you feel about them. <laughs> not to say you agree with them. That's certainly not what Jesus is saying for the, the kind of the, the godless culture that ruled over them. But to see them, right? Attitude as an object of love and to act on behalf of their good. No one had ever said this before. To, to be a person of love to everyone, regardless of who they are or how they treat you. And at a minimum, at a minimum, that's to pray for them. Because it's hard to hate someone you're praying for. <laughs> that's why we don't pray for our enemies. Because <laughs> we don't want to think about them. We want to categorize them, push them into the extremes, create that story in our head that's like they are this and that and always this and never that and, and we create this story in our, our head of what they're actually like. And at a minimum, to pray for them. The response of a disciple of Jesus whenever we experience persecution or wrongdoing is not just to be passive. It's not to take revenge. Pastor Brad talked about that last week but it's to love them, to love without preference, whether they're a neighbor, a friend, or a stranger, or an enemy. And so this is radical. So we have this question, why does Jesus care about our enemies? It's one thing to say, like, I get it, like, God is love, the Bible's all about love, but, like, why is this the last thing? <laughs> why, why is this something that of the six things he addresses, he, he wants to make sure we talk about this. Well, here's what he says. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Even people who, who don't know who God is, like non-Jews, e even they are loyal to their tribe. Even the tax collectors look out for each other. So like all the people you hate, <laughs> they do exactly what you do. And you're claiming to be different. You're claiming to be like God's special people. You're claiming to, to know love in a way that like no one else has ever known love before. And you're acting like everyone else does? This is important to Jesus because he knows we are supposed to be different we are supposed to understand love differently than the rest of the world. We're not just supposed to look out for our own. But there's something deeper here. And it's not just difference for the sake of difference. It's because Jesus believes something changes us. That, that's why these topics are so hard. They, they hit at the very heart. But as Jesus hits all these things, murder, adultery, divorce, revenge, lying, your enemies... He knows he's hitting at the very heart. And if change can happen at the heart level, then we can begin to see change all around us. 
And so he's hitting on this idea of enemies and he's hitting on the idea of something has to change. We have to be different. And, and what's going to change in us is understanding what God's love is like. And so he says this, right? He says, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So it's interesting, right? Jesus is like observing all the same things that uh, the people he's talking to observe, right? He's like, you guys know. You see like, you know, the farmer over there, and uh, they take care of their family. They're like kind to their workers. They contribute in the community. Like they're not a cheat. Like they, they are generous. And God gives them rain for their crops. And then you see the farmer over here who like takes advantage of people and doesn't give a rip about anyone and like cuts corners. And guess what God does? He gives them rain too. <laughs> Jesus is observing and he's saying, like, we all just, like, get to benefit from these gifts, right? Like, who can go to the beach? Who can go to the beach and enjoy the sun and enjoy the water? Only the good people get to go enjoy the beach because they deserve it. It's like, no, like, anyone can go. <laughs> like, the worst people in the world can go to the beach and the best people in the world can go to the beach, you know? Like, he's observing something that's actually very normal to us. The sun, the rain, the fact that you're breathing right now. And he's like, do you know? that God gave that to you as a gift. You didn't do anything to earn that. <laughs> Even if you're thinking right now about breathing, you're like, I'm breathing, I'm breathing. Like, you're gonna forget about that here in a minute and you're gonna still be breathing <laughs> because God's sustaining you and he wants to give you life as a gift. Even like when you don't do anything to deserve it, like you get the sun <laughs> and he's just like, enjoy it. Like it's just there to be warm. <laughs> enjoy it. It's a gift. These things that we view as um, maybe just normal, when we admit it, we didn't do anything to make the sun come up today. All we did was like go to bed <laughs> and wake up. We didn't do anything to deserve breath. And Jesus says, this is just God being good. <laughs> this is something he gave you. And he did, didn't give it based on preference. He didn't give it based upon how you acted yesterday. He chose to give you all these things for a new day because he's good. The book of Lamentations 3, it says that his mercies are new every morning. And you're like, how do I know that? Like, how's God being merciful? And it's like life, <laughs> like the sun. He's just, he's merciful again today. And this is the worldview that Jesus has. Like, do you understand the things that we take for granted, the things that are just normal, the things that we think we somehow deserve and just should be there are every day expressions of God saying, I love you and will just act on your good even if you don't think about me today. I'm just, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna let you breathe. I'm gonna give you the sun. I'm gonna bring the rain. In Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. And it says, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. It's just pure grace. Now, one day God will bring all things to account, like he's a good judge as well, but now it's just pure grace. He just gives us all life. And so to act as his children, acting as true children, right, to be people who not only have experienced that kind of love and, and see the world as ways that God has been generous to us, 
But then to begin to see what Jesus was like and, and to be a part of this family, this kingdom, this, this whole community of people who are expressing God's love, his children. If you want to participate in that, if you want to become like Jesus, if you want to live that out, you're going to do that through agape. <laughs> this is what it's all about. So in God's kingdom, I don't have the right to treat someone with unlove who Jesus has loved. And that's why he settles into this. He says, the reason I'm gonna sit on your enemies is because I love your enemies, even if you don't. <laughs> and he's good to them, just because that's what he's like. Not because he agrees with them, not because it's just exciting or he prefers it, he sees the world, he sees us as objects of his love. And he's good just because he is. And this is what Jesus does, right? When Jesus spends his time here on earth, he doesn't just say, wouldn't it be great if we all just loved your enemies? No, he like goes and finds the tax collector who everyone hated and he's like, let's like get lunch together. And people are like, Jesus, don't ask that guy out to lunch. Like, don't you know what you're doing? He interacts with the Samaritan woman at the well. He heals the daughter of a Roman centurion. He like, he, he goes to the oppressor and he says, I'm gonna like heal. <laughs> I'm gonna bless. I'm gonna share a meal with you. I'm not gonna push you out. I'm gonna draw you in. Like, I wanna see just as much good in your life as my own. Jesus lives this out. He lives this out to the point that all the people he's talking to who are listening and like, oh yeah, okay, love your enemies. God is love. We're supposed to be salt and light. All those people who are listening to him, not much later, will be watching him on a cross. And Jesus is gonna be hanging there and he's gonna say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Jesus agapes, he loves to the fullest extent. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just idealize it. He says, no, this is the gospel. This is the only good news for the world. That when we're his enemy, right? When we're listening, we're hearing his teaching, and then all of a sudden, God's laying his life down and we step aside and, and we're silent and we let God take the hit, you know? He says, I'm gonna lay my life down in that moment. We see this actually play out later in the Bible. In the book of Romans, it says this, that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. It's noble to lay your life down for someone. But here's what's interesting about Jesus. You know, God shows his great agape for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. So while we're not interested in him, <laughs> While, while he, we're not agreeing with him, while we don't like him, he chooses to see us as an object of love and send his son to act on behalf of our good. 
even when we don't deserve it, even when we're not aware of it. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Enemies becoming friends. That's not, that's not a liking thing. That's a relational change. What had, what had the power to help the people in this room, and myself included, what has the power to help us not be an enemy of God is the fact that he loves us when we are his enemies. Does that make sense? Isn't that bizarre? That the very thing that allows us to be friends of God is because he made the move when we were his enemies. It says that we can now rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ, he has made us friends of God. He's changed the relationship. And so it doesn't matter if you completely rebelled against God and, and were shaking your fist at him and, ta- you know, it, it doesn't matter if you just didn't know <laughs> and weren't really interested and were just kind of nominal. He moved towards you in your indifference. He, he chose to act even when you weren't interested. And that's what changed our relationship with him. So now do you see? Do you see why loving your enemy is like the big grand finale? Because <laughs> like this is what God has done for us. So what do we do with that, right? Like it's, it's amazing. Like this is the gospel. This is what Jesus has done. Like this is the whole point. This is the final love challenge. He's like, do you see that God has loved you when you were his enemy? He sent his son he lands in kind of an odd spot because uh, he says you're to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Uh, so let me rescue this one on, on a little bit because uh, this idea of something being perfect is actually the idea of it being complete. Um, it's the word teleos and it's the idea that you cross the finish line. <laughs> you like hit a milestone, right? And, and something's completed. And so let's, if you read it that way, you're to be complete even as your father in heaven is complete, or your love is to be complete, or your love's to be perfect. Do you see what he's trying to say here? At the end of this whole like, conversation on what love is, he's saying, so now you know. <laughs> now you know how complete your God's love is for you. And so you should do this. You should do this. Because you've experienced this and God has acted this way toward you, you should complete that love. You should model that for the other human beings around you because that's what God desires. He desires his love and his message and his hope to go throughout the world through people. <laughs> and so we've been sent because of what we've experienced. I wrote down, human beings are never more like God than in moments of true love. Not agreeing with each other, not liking each other and having emotional feelings. Not just that, because there's people we know who it's not gonna work out that way. But a mindset, an attitude, that they are objects of our love. They're deserving of love because Jesus loves them. And then to still act on behalf of their good. Nothing is participating more in the heartbeat of God than loving an enemy 
And so Jesus lands here as his big grand finale that regardless of who someone is or what they have done to show them an act of kindness and generosity to seek the highest good in their life. And you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy about this? Like we all raised our hands because we're like, we've heard about loving your enemy. This actually isn't news to our culture. Like there have been many times where uh, people have championed reform or have brought this idea of loving your enemy. Actually, there's, there's probably one icon we can think of in our culture, kind of in our uh, slice of time, in our slice of history, where this idea of loving your enemy was a big deal. Like it was actually lived out. And we like name streets and schools after this person. And it's Martin Luther King Jr., right? And he... And he brought this to a level, kind of into our culture in a way that everyone responded to, people began to respond to. And one point he said this about hate. He said, returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Now again, any, anyone can take this and they can push their own definition of love into it and be like, this is why you need to agree with me. But that's not what has the power to change the world. What has the power to change the world is the gospel. It's agape love. And, and with the right definition of love, he's exactly right. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, the world will be no different It will not know God's love anymore if hate just multiplies hate. The only thing that can change that is agape love. (laughs) You choosing to love your enemy the same way that light penetrates darkness. It's like that's another metaphor from the Bible for what Jesus did or something. And so our our culture knows, our world wants this. We just don't know how to get it. (laughs) It's because only God can. Agape love does have the power to transform the world. So practically, what does that look like? The starting point for all this is actually you have to identify your enemy. (laughs) Don't just make a list of the people you hate, (laughs) although that might be fun. Um, We were talking about this with our team this week, and uh, someone in the meeting said, um, you know, it's kind of like the best way to answer this question is saying, who do you think life would be better without? who do you think life would be better without? And that might be kind of in a joking way. You might not ever say that out loud. Don't say that ever out loud. (laughs) But for real, when you think about your week, when you think about your story, like, who do you think life would be better without? Hate shows itself in many different forms. It doesn't always show itself in persecution, but at the heart level, I think that's pretty close to someone being your enemy, that you wish they weren't here, that your life would be better without them. What a bother that God put them near you. Now again, there's real persecution, there's real hurt, there's real pain. I'm not trying to undermine any of that, but sometimes, at least when I hear this conversation, I'm so used to it. And I'm like, I don't have any enemies. I'm like, this isn't a Marvel movie. I don't have like an arch nemesis. (laughs) But... There are people who I wish life was better without. And I get into that mindset where I I begin to categorize them in ways that I I think that they don't deserve my love. 
They don't deserve for me to see them that way or for me to act toward them in that way. The second thing, actually, Jesus just says this. He says, pray for them. Pray for God to work for their good. Don't just pray that they would agree with you. Don't just pray that you would start liking them. Pray agape love. Pray that you would see them the way God sees them, as an object of love. Start there. Pray that you would understand like what they actually need in their life. And don't just hold on to that. If you, if you land somewhere and you're like, man, God's beginning to show me like actually more about this person or he's giving me just insight or empathy, you don't just stop there. I, I would encourage you to, to act on that. And actually, if you're willing to like do this this weekend, you're willing to open yourself up to this, like I would encourage you to ha- have one act of goodness by Monday. You'll be lucky to still be praying for your enemy by Monday, but like if in this moment you can identify that and, and you can actually open your heart up to say, God, I, I, want, I want to be transformed by your love. I know this is crazy. This is insane. Like what kind of people gather together on the weekend to be like, how can we love our enemies better? Like you're here doing that. It's insane. And you are participating in the, the very good news of Jesus Christ and, and the kind of love that God showed toward us. That might, that might be a coworker. It might be your boss. So like you go in Monday, and you're like, man, how can I act on their good? I know they don't deserve it. They didn't do anything last week to deserve it. But how can I act on behalf of their good? It might be a family member who's either estranged or there's tension. They might not even be in near proximity, but... Could you reach out to them? <laughs> Not even to accomplish anything, just, just to move toward them like the way God does. It may be a whole group of people that you, you've categorized as the enemy. Would you seek someone out in that group you've categorized and, and would you just listen to them? Not to change them, not to even start liking them, but just to, to move toward them. And what I found as I began to do this, it actually um, becomes a little bit easier. Me and my wife, Sarah, we, we were uh, in some counseling earlier this year, and what this counselor was helping us do was helping us understand what the process of forgiveness looks like in, in a healing way. And actually, she had us do all this stuff. It was crazy. We identified some, some hurt, some areas, some people we... We think life would be better without. Wouldn't have worded it that way. <laughs> but real, real things. And we began to be honest about that. Yeah, really, this, this is how I see it. This is where the hurt's at. Began to even like a deeper part of that seeing like this is broken. Like this, it shouldn't be this way. And to have an even deeper understanding and feeling toward that brokenness. But what was interesting in in that process as she helped us go through that was this idea of praying for our enemies. And as we we prayed, we we began to see the brokenness in a new way. We were honest, we hurt, we grieved, but then something changed. We began to see people the way God sees them not just as people who are in our way, who would let us down, but they're an object of God's love. And they actually have their own pain 
and they have their own hurts. And it was amazing just through this idea of identifying and praying and then what I was compelled to do once I began to see them that way, once I began to see the hurt and begin to see them the way God sees it, I remember like walking out of counseling in that time and telling Sarah, I was like, we gotta find a way to serve them this week. Like how, how can, instead of me just always holding on to all the ways they had let me down or all the way, like I began to think like, I'm here to like love them. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like with my arms crossed, pouting, and God's called me to see them differently and act toward them differently despite what they do. Guys, this can be incredibly healing. I'm not, I'm not saying you won't have any enemies anymore or that we'll all just get along and all agree or that you'll like everyone you don't like. I'm saying that you begin to experience God's transforming love in a real way when you let him do this. His love becomes complete in you. <laughs> you don't arrive, but you, you, you experience his love in a way most people will never open themselves up to. And that's, that's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That's, that's what he expected us to do. Not to earn God's favor, but to experience his love because it's what God's love is actually like toward us. I want to invite the band out and give us some space to pray even now. Father, just thank you for your love. Thank you that even when we uh, don't get it and we uh, kind of lose the heart and intent behind your word, you still move toward us. You still act on behalf of our good. You're still a generous God. And most of all, God, thank you for the person of Jesus that when we were uninterested in you, when we were ugly toward you, when we, um, we crucified you, you moved toward us. You saw us as an object of your love and you continually act on behalf of our good. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for how gentle you are with us. Thank you that you've turned enemies into your friends. You've created a new way and a new relationship. I just pray that if there's something you wanna do in the hearts of someone this week in God, like if you want them to understand your love and you want them to engage this difficult process of loving their enemies, God, give them the grace and the courage to do that. Thank you that you went first and were not alone. As we do that, God, I pray that we would experience your love in deeper and fresh ways because you are active now and you are powerful even in this moment. And so we trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.